Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for allowing us the privilege and honor to being in your presence. May the words that are spoken today reflect your wisdom, your knowledge, and your understanding. And may we do right in your sight. Amen. When we stand on a point of principle, it often carries serious consequences. But faithfulness can provide dividends and benefits beyond what we might expect. Religious liberty itself is not just an abstract principle which we follow in the abstract. It is linked integrally with the work of our Creator and the Lord of all things. And it is reflected in the actions of those who honor the great gospel of liberty, as Paul termed it, and speak out, stand up, and remain faithful, no matter what happens. Some of you may be familiar with the story of Pastor Antonio Montero. In 2012, he was working in the Sahel Union in the country of Togo, when in March of that year, he was arrested. Why was he arrested? Well, he was arrested because he was accused of participating in the murder of young women and the use of their blood and organs for religious rituals. It was very lurid stuff, very much the stuff for tabloids, even though the accusations against him were based on the confessions of a man whose reliability remained in question. Nonetheless, this was a, one of those cases where with 11 or 12 dead bodies, justice was demanded and there was a rush to find a culprit for these particular uh, events. Pastor Montero was thrown into prison pre-trial. And prison is never a wonderful place in whatever country, but in a country like Togo, it's even worse. The prison was designed for 500 people. It had 1,000 prisoners present. From 5.30 p.m. until 6 a.m., all the prisoners were locked in their rooms, 28 to a small room. The only facilities available were a large pot in the middle of the room, which all of the prisoners used for whatever they required. There was no food except that which was brought in by friends and relatives. So if you happen to be a prisoner with no friends or family, basically you starved. It was a very uh, a difficult time, and uh, a lot of prisoners at that time died of disease. As Pastor Montero said, one of the blessings that I had was that I never got sick in the time that I was in prison. The church did a lot to attempt to have Pastor Montero released. I recall that in our church at the time, we were asked on a number of occasions to pray on his behalf, uh, which we did so. The president of the General Conference actually went to uh, Togo to discuss the case. Uh, the president of the country refused to uh, receive him. In January of 2014, there was a very quick trial, lasted a day or so, and Pastor Montero was released after 22 months of uh, imprisonment. And there was a great deal of rejoicing and a great deal of prayers were offered about his uh, freedom. But the most important point, really, in this whole sad saga was 
Pastor Montero's reaction to what happened. He stated that God had brought him to that prison. He stated that Christ had given him a mission. And while he remained faithful that God would release him from the prison, he knew that he had to carry out this mission before that would happen. And so he did carry out his mission. He taught Bible classes in prison. He offered individual spiritual counseling to prisoners. He translated Bible literature. He passed out tracts such as the Great Controversy to other prisoners. And one of the uh, benefits of what he was doing, although he would no doubt not take any, any, any praise for this, was that through his uh, counseling and his initiatives, he managed to re reduce the fighting amongst inmates to almost nothing. Uh, you know, with a lot of inmates together, uh, there's a tendency to people be angry and to take out that anger in fighting. That stopped thanks to, thanks to his work. And I remember one thing that he said in an interview after he was released in January 2014. He was worried about what would happen with his Bible studies now that he wasn't there. Several thousand years ago, Joseph said something similar to his brothers, the same brothers who had sold him into slavery. As for you, he told them, as they came before him thinking that he might exact revenge, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about, as it is in this day, to save many people alive. Joseph's realization of God's providence as well as Pastor Montero's take on his particular situation, are perhaps not as uncommon as we might think. In religious liberty work in the North America Division, a lot is done to help employees dealing with accommodation cases or to raise the church's voice to counter legislation that might affect religious liberty. Or local churches might work to educate local officials on how seemingly innocent municipal regulations might affect churches. But it's worth keeping in mind that the real issue at hand is witnessing and living out our freedom in Christ before the world at all costs. Through the years, those who have been tested have seen this and have often given glory to God for the experience of persecution itself. When we first encountered Joseph in the Bible, we see a strong, confident young man, very youthful and somewhat impulsive in nature, as most of us were when we were youthful. He was certainly ready to show off his coat of many colors, and he was quite ready to express his dreams to his brothers. Now, according to the Bible, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered into the service of the Pharaoh, and after seven years of plenty, and two of the seven lean years, he was 39 years of age when his brothers appeared before him in Egypt, seeking relief from the famine. By this time, he had changed from a principled but headstrong youth into a middle-aged man of wisdom and proven faithfulness. But how had Joseph remained faithful all these years? How had he put aside the hatred of the brothers who sought first to kill him and then sold him into what they must have imagined was a fate worse than death. How did Joseph keep his integrity in the house of Potiphar? How did he remain hopeful during his time in prison? 
How could he be sure that it was a dream fulfilled and not chance that brought his brothers into his power after so many years? And how could he have been so certain that it was God giving him dreams and directions, especially when, as you know, he married into a priestly family in Egypt? The answer to these questions is complex, but is perhaps best expressed in Joseph's reaction to Potiphar's wife's attempted seduction. During that particular precarious encounter, Joseph recounted why he must return the trust that his master had placed in him. In the same way, we as Christians today have an obligation to our employers, to our communities, and to our family. But Joseph's explanation for his stand went even further. As he said in Genesis 39.9, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? This is the key. Years earlier, he had alienated his brothers and alarmed his parents by repeating the two divine dreams that has sheaves representing his brothers and the sun, moon, and stars representing his parents and descendants bowing down before him. He had worn his multicolored coat of a father's favor in front of his jealous brothers, enraging them. And just as we, as the remnant, can sometimes waive our spiritual privilege in the face of others, instead of meeting our obligation which comes from our calling, so Joseph had to learn that the focus was not on him, but on God. During his imprisonment, he discovered the God behind his dreams. When asked by the butler and the baker to interpret the dreams, he answered in Genesis 48, do not interpretations belong to God? Like Pastor Montero and others through the years, Joseph had come to realize that God was the center of the dream, not himself. This realization is revealed nine years later when the guilty brothers bowed before him in fulfillment of his original dream. But he held his peace and cried behind the curtains where no one could see him. For by that time he knew that he was but a small part of a bigger story, the bigger story of working out God's purpose, in this case, God's purpose to save a whole people. When Joseph answered the Pharaoh's questions, he did so with confidence, but only tangentially included himself in the response. His answers make it clear that he is privy to the ways of God, but he is secondary to the ways of God. He says, God has revealed to Pharaoh. God has shown to the Pharaoh. And the thing is fixed by God, and he will shortly bring it to pass. The shift from the brash youth to the confident measure, measure, messenger of God is clear, and it has a lot to do with his time in prison and his growth in spiritual maturity while there. The obvious parallel in our modern world is Nelson Mandela. He was imprisoned for 27 years and often forced to do hard labor. Yet he rejoined society, not in a vengeful manner, but to teach love, forgiveness, and reconciliation. The world owes a lot to his particular example. In standing for religious liberty, we must not make the mistake of thinking that the struggle is about us. It isn't. We cannot escape the obligation to witness to others and to refine our own characters through adversity. 
So where did Joseph learn to trust in God? We know he had a godly upbringing. He was loved by his father, perhaps loved too much. And doubtless he knew the stories of God's dealings with his forefathers. In a way, Joseph is like many of us, individuals who in one way or another are part of the remnant movement. We know God has spoken to us in these latter days by dreams and visions. We feel special. We should feel special. And we often communicate that to others. But are we ready when our own turn against us? Are we ready to sacrifice all, to give up our livelihoods for our faith? Are we ready to give up ourselves, even if that deprives us of our own liberty? Are we ready to stand before authorities and explain to them exactly what our faith means? Can we individually give reasons for our faith other, that, other than that we once had a multicolored coat and that somewhere far away we knew the daily favor of our doting parents? So where did Joseph learn faith? Was it in those desperate moments in the pit before he was sold to traitors? Perhaps not. But he clearly made a resolution upon entering captivity that he would remain true to his principles, true to God. His years in prison confirmed this choice of faithfulness. He was the model prisoner who attended to the needs of his fellow prisoners, just as Pastor Montero did. In those years, he changed from being a brash youth to a confident spokesman for God. Whatever he may have been perceived as, as a sheep herder, as the lowest of the low, as a convicted attacker of his master's wife, as an attempted usurper of the social order, when Joseph spoke before Pharaoh, he spoke truth to power and transcended himself by speaking authoritatively of God and his ways. We too can do this. In fact, we are called to do this, each and every one of us. Joseph was not great because he once wore a coat of many colors. Joseph was not great because he rose to be steward of a wealthy man's household. Joseph was not great because he had himself the power to divine dreams. Joseph was great because he was faithful to God in any and all circumstances. The story of Joseph is perhaps a saga that we can hardly imagine. After all, he rose to become second in command to the kingdom of the Pharaoh. But Joseph seems not to, focus, to have focused on the prerogatives of that power because that power is not important. He implores Pharaoh to let him go and meet his aged father, and then later to go to Canaan to bury the patriarch. The image of Joseph in these latter days is one of kindness. The young man is gone. Now the middle-aged man weeps with joy to see his brothers, weeps on the neck of his father, and does all he can to secure favor for his family as they settle in Egypt. Those days of the pit and of the prison are long gone. They are no longer remembered by one who was once alone in a strange land. Joseph's story touches us all. In exile from Canaan to Egypt, the young captive had only his faith in God to sustain him. Joseph clung to the belief that God is a rewarder of the faithful. 
Before the Pharaoh, Joseph could ignore his simple origins and boldly represent the God who had sustained him. And in his later years, he could put aside any malice whatsoever and seek not justice, but mercy. We should all be doing the same. We should all be following the example of faith of Joseph. We must do so because it is part of our mission. Thank you very much, and God bless.